on the Lord's Day when you see me up at the front, whether it's standing just right here in the center or it's up there in the pulpit on a Sunday morning, you see me kind of fiddling about with and poking at my phone. And I promise you that I'm not checking football scores or anything like that, or I'm not checking the latest messages to come through on WhatsApp, but it's all related to what is on the screen. And that's an amazing thing. Sometimes we take technology for granted, but that so much can be done by our phones, smartphones, as they're called, that there are so many aspects of our life, so many daily tasks that can be managed through owning a phone like this. And I suppose that was the big idea when Steve Jobs of Apple came up with the idea of the iPhone. He thought, this is great. We're going to get a device and it will do everything that you need. It's a device that will multitask for you and mean that you can jettison all kinds of other things. And I want you to imagine tonight that I was meeting up with a friend and we were planning to go on a trip by, by the train. And the week before we meet up and my friend shows me his latest smartphone and he says, this phone is absolutely amazing. This phone, it is the best phone that is on the market. It just does absolutely everything. It organizes my events and my, my calendar and my reminders. It, it tells me exactly where I need to be and when I need to be there, and it alerts me. It does it all. It's got an absolutely epic camera. This camera is just so unbelievable. Every kind of angle, you can change it, and it can do it all. It can edit your photos. The music player on it and the, the video player on it are just so crystal clear, and I've got these brilliant headphones, and it works so well, and it does so much more besides. And it sounds like an amazing phone, the phone that does everything. And yet, that next week when we meet up and we're about to get on the train, he has this rucksack over his back. And I'm thinking to myself, but we're only going for the day. What, what have you got in there? And eventually when we sit, sit down, yes, he sets out his shiny new smartphone, but he also gets out a camera bag. And I say to him, but I, I thought your phone had an amazing camera. Oh yeah, it, it does, but you know, that can be pretty sapping on the battery. I, I thought I better just bring my regular camera and all the lenses are spread out everywhere. And then he gets out a, a big diary and it's one of those big A4 size ones. And he has it opened up, but, but here, hang on, I thought this, this did that all, it organized your life. Yeah, but sometimes, you know, if the battery runs out, I've just got all the stuff put in here instead. And then he gets a big notebook out. But your phone has notes, and it's meant to be intuitive in the way that it arranges them. But yes, I still like to have my pens and be able to write that stuff down. And so it goes on. And eventually, he gets out his portable DVD player, and he says, I've got a few DVDs here that I might watch during the... Well, what about YouTube or what about Netflix on your phone? Yeah, but sometimes that doesn't really work well on the train. And eventually he gets out his big brick of an original mobile phone. What's that for? Well, I just find that the signal on this one is a wee bit better than on the new one that I've got. 
in our lives, as we think about the Lord Jesus Christ, and as we think about the life that we find in Him, and everything that Christ has done for us, every spiritual blessing that comes to us, every promise of God that is fulfilled through the Lord Jesus Christ, we can run the risk of still carrying around all of this baggage, still believing that there are all of these extra things that we need to do, all of these extra things that we need to add into our life, because if we're being really honest, despite all that we are told in the gospel, sometimes people who profess faith in Christ don't actually have confidence that Christ is enough. And yet, what is the message of the gospel? Indeed, what is the message of this book of Colossians? Well, really, Colossians ultimately is telling us that Christ plus nothing equals everything, as someone has summed up the message of this book. Now, maybe like me, you're not that good at maths and equations and everything else. Look at that again. Christ plus nothing equals everything. In other words, Jesus is all that we need. And that's not only the message that is contained in Paul's letter to the Colossians, that is the gospel. That when it comes to life, when it comes to salvation and our relationship with God, there is nothing that we need. There is nobody else that we need other than Jesus. And so when we turn to this letter, when we take time to read this book, it is a book that reminds us of the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ. It tells us that our Jesus is absolutely amazing and that Jesus is enough, His sufficiency and His supremacy. And we didn't read the opening eight verses, but if you scan down, turning in your Bibles again to Colossians 1, if you scan down through those opening eight verses, as I often say, if you want to worship the Lord, if you want to meditate on Christ and who He is and what He is like and what God has done for us in Jesus, you, you could begin in each of the letters in the New Testament, the way in which each of these letters begin, so often the focus is on the gospel and the most important things about Christ. But tonight we want to look at the following verses. We want to focus in on verses 9 to 14 because there we begin to see the impact that the gospel should have on our lives. And in those verses, we get an incredible insight into Paul's prayer life so that over the last few months, as we have taken time to work our way through the book of 1 Timothy, there we've been given this amazing insight into Paul's thoughts about Jesus and his thoughts about the gospel, 
and his thoughts about serving the Lord in this world and gospel ministry, because he has been writing to that really close friend, that one Timothy, who he considers to be a son in the faith. There is that closeness of relationship. Well, here, Paul opens up his heart to the Colossian believers in regard to his prayer life. And we get to see what he is praying to the Lord as he prays for them. So that for us tonight, this passage serves a dual purpose. It lets us know what we should pray for one another. And maybe you struggle to know, what is it that I should be praying for people who are on my list? What is it that I should be praying for people as people in my church family come to mind? But it also lets us know what our life in Christ should be like, what it should look like day by day. But first of all, just before we consider that, there is ample challenge in the words of Paul in verse 9. If you look at what he said, not only do we see what he is praying, but the way in which he is praying. And he says, we have not ceased to pray for you. And if you add that to what he says back in verse 3, where he is talking about always thanking God, well, that is, at least for me, an immediate and a, a very big challenge. Because is that what your prayer life looks like? Is your prayer life one of which the word always could be used, the phrase, we have not ceased, could be used. And we have to acknowledge tonight that maybe for some people here this evening, the concept of praying always, the the idea of praying without ceasing, just seems so strange to you, so alien, because the truth is that you actually don't pray at all. Sometimes people who profess faith can go through long periods of time without praying. And we need to be absolutely sure that if we have genuinely trusted in the Lord, if we have repented and placed our faith in Him, that is not what God desires for your life. And it is a missed opportunity for the believer in Christ Because remember, as we always say here in church, as we explore the subject of prayer together in God's Word, prayer is much more about relationship than request. It's not simply coming to the Lord with a big shopping list of desires and requests, no matter how good some of those might be. It is about an ongoing relationship. I love the way Alistair Begg expresses it in something I was reading recently, he talks about prayer being an aligning of our will with God's will. And that's important. And there can be reasons that keep people from praying. One of the reasons can be that we're simply not sure what to be praying about, especially for other believers, that for some of us maybe We wonder, what do you say to the Lord beyond, Lord, bless them? What do you pray for fellow believers? 
in your family and within this church family? Do you pray for their good health, for guidance at times of decision, for their prosperity, for their success in their business or in their job, for their relationships with others? And all of these things to varying degrees are good and they are important things to pray about, but they are not the primary thing that you should bring before the Lord as you pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ. So, what should we pray for each other as believers in Christ? Let's look at what Paul mentions here in verses 9 to 14, and we'll do this very quickly, but understand that these are jam-packed verses. It's impossible to, to touch on everything that Paul is saying within this passage, but let me highlight four things that Paul is telling us here when it comes to praying for fellow believers and praying for ourselves. First of all, we are to ask God to help them to know His will. So that Paul asks the Lord in this chapter in verse 9 that these believers in this church that he's writing to may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And this is such an important thing because we know that knowing God's will can be a challenge for believers. And then when we know God's will, when God's will is abundantly clear to us, we run the risk of resisting that will of God. We face the temptation of doing the opposite of what it is that He calls us and desires us to do. So, let's be sure what Paul is praying about here. It's not so much about information as transformation. In other words, it's not just about these people gaining a head knowledge of what God wants from them in their life, but them gaining a deep understanding that leads to change in their life as they mature as believers, as they gain wisdom and true understanding. And how does this wisdom come about? Well, primarily through the Word of God, through the opportunities that we take to hear and discover more about God through His Word. And of course, the Holy Spirit needs to be right at the heart of what is going on. So, I ask you tonight, do you pray this for others? And do you pray this for yourself? so that you may know God's will. But then second, Paul tells them that when he prays for these Colossian believers, that he asks God to help them to live a life that shows that they actually belong to Him. And when you think about it, this will be the natural result of the first part. This will be the, the natural consequence of growing in their knowledge of God's will and obeying that. So, what does Paul pray that their life will look like? Look at verse 10. He continues, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. What specifically does Paul pray 
that this knowledge of God's will will lead to? Well, a few things. That first of all, it will lead to a life that will honor and please the Lord. He puts it like this in verse 10, that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Imagine what that would look like in practice if we were to live and walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, that everything that we think, all the things that we say and do would be in pursuit of God's glory. And as a result, we would be showing Him to others as well as pleasing Him in our life. And maybe for some people tonight, as you hear this about the Christian life, this is almost revolutionary for you to hear because your concept of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and what it means to be saved is so limited. People, this is what we are saved for. The gospel of grace is not simply about what we are saved from, as important as that is. It is an unfolding message of what we are saved for, the purpose of us being set apart for the Lord. And this should then lead to a life that will produce healthy fruit. As Paul puts it in verse 10, bearing fruit in every good work. So it's not just about avoiding the wrong things, but it's also very positively about doing the right things, the good things. And we know that this kind of character will be produced as a result of the Holy Spirit's work in our life. That's why we should be praying for our fellow believers in this way, that the Spirit would produce a fruit in their life. And we think of the fruit of the Spirit that Paul talks about elsewhere in Galatians chapter 5. Think about your life and think about the life of this congregation and how it looks, and then think about the fruit of the Spirit that should be evident, that love and joy, peace, patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then this should lead to a life that continues to grow deeper in the knowledge of God. So often we imagine that the the Christian life is about trusting in Christ, receiving the benefits that come through that faith in Him, and then it just plateaus out without any sense of moving forward, of growing, of the purpose of God in our life to make us more and more and more like His Son, Jesus. Are you becoming more and more Christ-like? So that Paul's prayer for these people is that there will be this snowball effect that knowledge will then lead to greater knowledge. And it is their relationship with God that is a thing of key importance here. I wonder as we look at that list on the screen, is this in any way what our prayer life looks like? I, I'm challenged by this because I think about the time that I spend in prayer and the things that I'm talking to God about in relation to my family and myself 
and my brother elders and all of the people in this congregation and beyond? Would you ever think of praying these things for your fellow believers? And then as you look at these things, how is your life looking? Is there a need for repentance and a need for a, a seeking of God's grace tonight as you, you look at this and, and wonder how your life is matching up? But then very quickly, because time is running out, Paul prays for these Colossian believers, asking God to help them to keep on. Verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience. And we know, we know only too well that the life of discipleship, a life that is lived faithfully following the Lord and, and walking within his ways and his will, in this dark and sinful world is so tough. It is not easy to be a believer in Christ in our society and in our time. And there needs to be endurance. And we need God's grace every hour of every day in order to keep on keeping on. And I remember back in my days in West Cook, my home congregation, Bran Moore, our minister, that often he would just say that repeatedly. And as a child, it was almost to the point of embarrassment. You thought, when's he going to stop? But as I got further on in my Christian life and further on in years towards the end of his ministry, I looked forward to that. I just appreciated it because sometimes he came to the end of a point in his sermon and he would just say, keep on keep on, keep on. He might have said it seven or eight times, and he left a big gap between each time, but what a message. And we do this by God's grace. We do this by the power of His Holy Spirit at work within us. So, the link with prayer and endurance. And then one final thing, as Paul prays for these Colossian believers, and gives us a template for how we pray for one another, that he asks God to help them to be joyful and thankful. How we need this in our Christian life, in our church, and how we need to be praying this for one another so that he continues in verse 11 with joy. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And what a thing to be thankful for, that we are qualified through the righteousness of Christ, that we share in this incredible inheritance. And so, I'll leave you with this challenge tonight, believers in Christ, is joy and thanksgiving a feature of your life? And therefore, as you pray tonight for a Christian in your family, in your home, as you are praying over the course of this evening and tomorrow morning for Christians who are precious to you, for, for colleagues and, and other people as they go into a week, will this be one of the things that you're seeking for them as you come to the Lord? Lord, pr 
I pray that they'll know a greater joy in serving you. I pray that they will have a greater understanding of the gospel that will just brim over with thanksgiving to you. Over the years as a minister, I've been, I've been at my fair share of weddings. And some people will consider that a joy. Other people will consider that an occupational hazard. You can draw your own conclusions, but I've been at all kinds of weddings in all kinds of settings. And one of the things that I actually quite enjoy in a funny way when going to a wedding is that if you're a minister at a wedding, you're never quite sure where you're going to sit or who you're going to be sitting with. And I have sat beside some incredible people down through the years. You just ask them a question, so what do you do? And that in itself can start off conversations and you think, this is an interesting person to be sitting beside. But over those years, I've also sat with many Christians, many people who, when they hear that I'm a minister, would say, oh, well, you know, I'm a Christian, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus, or I'm saved, or whatever way they might want to express it. And some of those people have been absolutely miserable. And I've been glad to see the cutting of the cake and it's been, Bella, maybe we've had our tea, maybe we should go now. And some of those people have been joyful Christians, believers in Christ who just draw you and attract you to them because of the joy that is brimming over in their life, that there is something that shows the difference that Christ makes, the hope that they have in their heart. And let's pray for one another that that is how our life would look. Not some kind of artificial joy, because sometimes these people have been telling me about the pain that they're going through or the painful situations that their family are going through. It's not some kind of happy, clappy, manufactured joy but a real joy and peace that comes about through a thanksgiving, not because of their circumstances, but because of their standing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so these are the things that, like Paul, we should be praying for our fellow believers. These are the things that we should be praying about when we bring the people of this church before the Lord and these are the things that should be realities in our lives if we love and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. What a thing the church is. And we've sensed that tonight as we've been singing our praise to the Lord. Let's sing of His church.